Hello, everyone. This is Terry DuPont with Better Business, Better Life, Building on Your Success. We're so thankful for all of our listeners, and I'd like to share one of our fan favorite episodes for Thanksgiving. So we're going to do a rerun of uh, John M. Schroeder, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're honored and privileged uh, to have John M. Schwiller with us. Uh, John uh, owns a, a fairly good-sized accounting firm uh, here in Indiana. Uh, and uh, welcome, John. We're glad to have you. Hey, Terry. Glad, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate well, it. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, John, to get started here, um, can you tell us uh, a little more about you and why or what started your career? Uh, I will. Yeah. So thank you for asking. Of course, my name is John M. Schweiler, and I own the M. Schweiler and M. Schweiler Accounting Firm. I have offices in Bluffton, Indiana and Fort Wayne, Indiana. So as Terry said, a rather large firm with about 3,000 clients between personal and business clients. So uh, I'm the fourth generation of my family to own this firm. So it was actually started in 1944 by my great-grandfather and grandmother. So um I guess that's probably how I ended up in this career, even though I really fought it for for many years <laughs> in regards to that. Uh, sitting behind a desk, uh, working with numbers all day long seemed pretty boring when you're younger. <laughs> so uh, I'm married, I have two children, and now I have three grandchildren. So, ah, you know, and I got started in this really because uh, once I got out of college and was out in the real world, I realized that why my father did what he was doing and my uncle was doing. Found out that real need for competent professional tax service and advice for people at, at a price they could actually afford. You know, we're in a in small towns, smaller markets, Bluffton and Fort Wayne, and uh, there was just a there was a great need for that. And I really saw that when I got out into the world. So even though I really thought I'd fight it and not get into this business, I'd be banking or I'd be a, a professional, you know, golfer at a, working at a country club. Yeah, I yeah, I was pulled back here. So. Okay, great, great, good story. And I'm going to dig into that a little deeper in a minute. But, um, and how many years have you been doing this? Myself personally, I've been doing this now for 28 years. Okay, um, John, in those 28 years. What's the biggest challenge you faced? Well, you know, that's a great question, Terry, because it's probably going to be early on. I chose and rather to become a CPA, a, an enrolled agent. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people didn't understand what an enrolled agent was versus a CPA. And so educating people and having to prove yourself at that point in time was much more difficult and but you know given time and being able to prove yourself to people and do that then having that enrolled agent designation rather than the cpa has actually proved much more beneficial to both myself and the uh, the firm so yeah you know I, I found in life that people don't care about all that alphabet soup <laughs> mm -hmm. okay and yeah. you know they, they really you know uh, people want to know how much you care before they you know, care about how much, you know, right. And, I agree. I agree. And, and so. so that's excellent. Yeah. Um, 
I, I know that you have some specialties um, uh, in your in your practice, um, but how did you become uh, the expert uh, in your business um, to your marketplace? Well, you know, experts quite quite a uh, big word there, Terry. I don't know if I'll consider myself an expert, but I, I would say that you know, over my twenty eight years, I'm a voracious person for education and reading. And, and trying to to learn more so because we're here for the benefit of our clients not ourselves at, at our firm and so getting that education and knowledge so that when a client has even a unique need we're going to be able to step in and be able to provide that need okay you know i got very well versed into the research and development credits called r d credits Mm -hmm. which are a very select but very lucrative section of the IRS code. Mm -hmm. And that has really grown our firm quite a bit as the word got out that I could help get these R&D credits. And I'm talking, they can be in the millions of dollars for a small business. You don't have to be an Eli Lilly or something to that. And the research and development credits aren't somebody in a white lab coat using beakers. There's a lot of other ways to be able to qualify. So mm-hmm. you have to be able to educate your client on how they actually, this pertains to them. Mm-hmm. And okay. so getting that and being able to get that education and understand the code, retain it and want to know about it. My father once taught me the difference between what he said was smart. Smart says, you know more than the person you're talking to. So guess what? You're going to be great because they'll accept whatever you say. Intelligence is You want to make sure when you give somebody an answer, you're correct. So if you don't know it exactly, go get the correct answer, find it out, and then relay that information to them. And I've never forgot that. So Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I'm I'm going to go back uh, and revisit a little bit the um, how you got started. And I know you mentioned uh, that you're a fourth generation uh, owner of the firm um, and, and fourth generation operating the business. Um, do you feel that is something that was ingrained in you as a child? Um, and and was there any pressure on you or, or anything to get into the business? Uh, can you expl- uh, talk about that a little bit? Pressure to get into the business? Absolutely. <laughs> My wife would tell you ingrained in me? No, <laughs> because I was fully saying I'm not going to live in Bluffton, Indiana in a small town. I wanted the big city. I wanted to live the corporate life. And so that's what I was was actually planning to do. And then once I got out there and got into the big city and experienced the corporate life, I find out it's not what I thought it was. And the benefits of having the small town where people know you and everything else really was a great thing, especially when it came to raising my own children here from that standpoint and being able to, to grow the business through just word of mouth by doing the right thing and treating people the right way. So, but, you know, I worked here as a kid. I understood things, picked up a lot of knowledge that, uh, you know what, they don't teach in college, to be honest. Right. And so there was always inside of me that that little thing that's always sitting there going, yeah, you're going to get back there. You're going to get back there. And then uh, it finally happened. And, you know, I wish my father was still alive today, but, you know, he told me besides the day he got married, it was probably the second best day he ever had when I said I'd like to come back and work for him. So I can imagine. Yes, I can imagine. Um, That's a great story. Um, 
what is something, John, that you know now that you wish you knew when you started? That's an easy one. That book problems and the way they teach you to do accounting and do anything else isn't the way the real world works. Right. No client brings me in their paperwork the way that it comes in a book problem when you're trying to learn how to do depreciation or you're learning how to, you know, do anything, amortization, the expenses. You understand that, my gosh, you know, it doesn't just take this ledger and come, whoa, everything balances perfectly. It looks great. And you're able to get this done. You know, you have to be able to uh, go beyond that and use common sense. And you have to be able to understand your clients. You have to ask questions. You have to be able to understand how they're doing it so that you can understand to make sure you get their tax return done correctly. Right. Right. But yeah, you know, it, college, a lot of things were very easy and it always came to a very simple answer, you know, and you know what you were getting there. Mm -hmm. you know, I scratch my head here every day and I wonder how did they come up with this? <laughs> I get you. Yeah. I understand completely. Yeah. Sometimes uh, what they give you is good, but it's not in the practical world. It just uh, doesn't fit well. It uh, doesn't. And you know, they want, they understand what they're doing, but they don't understand how does that really fit into the accounting and the tax world. Right. And so it can sometimes be a frustrating thing for, for a party. Okay. Good question. Good answer. Um, I know that you've got some specialty markets. Um, and so what would you say is your unique, unique approach with your clients? Well, I don't think it's unique, but it's getting less and less nowadays. And that's hands-on. Mm -hmm. I like to be able to have be in front of my clients, whether I go to their location, have them come in here, because I feel, you know, that's something that we're losing in today's world. You know, you know, we got email, we got fax, you can do Zoom meetings, you can do all of these things, but you can't really find that you understand the client and really know and get to know what they need from that unique perspective. Because again, there aren't any two clients I have. I have two separate dental practices. We might, we do payroll for both. We do their accounting, we do their tax return, but by gosh, there are so many differences between those two. If I can't know my client, be able to really have that relationship to ask questions and know that they can, they know they can call me anytime as well to be able to do that. So, you know, I find that, especially when I pick up new clients, they're like your willingness to meet with us, to answer our questions, to do those type of things. And a lot of times not even charge them for that because- right. That's something that I think is unique in our smaller family firm here is the fact that I'm extremely busy during tax season. Time is at a premium. So if I don't have to ask certain questions because the clients know they could ask them during the year to get things entered correctly, it saves me a lot of time during tax season when time's at a premium. So I'm willing to take that time to make sure they're doing it right during the rest of the year because it's a win-win situation for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do, do you find um, that when you're working um, with uh, clients that uh, or prospective clients or people who live in a larger city as compared to a small town, Indiana type of communities, uh, that there's a difference in, in the way that uh, you, you have to work with them or you need to work with them or they expect you to work with them? Well, I find that, yes, you know, in our Fort Wayne office, some of our clientele, are, are different than the clientele we have in Bluffton, Indiana. And in some of their expectations, they, they can be different. I've also got clients, you know, in New York and Dallas and in another large, large New York city. 
And from that, there is a big difference between people. But from that, that's partly why I want to be able to be that hands-on with them. So that at that same period of time, even though they want different things or want to be dealt with differently, I can still get in there and get that information to make sure we are going to get everything done for them. Right. Because ultimately, my thing that I like to tell every client is this. I don't want you to pay one more dime in tax than is absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. That is what our goal is. We're right. not going to cheat to get there. But right. We're not going to pay one more dime than is absolutely necessary for you. And I try to relay that to every single client. So, Well, I, I don't know if you uh, have a sixth sense or not, uh, John, but that was my next question. Uh, is there something that you share with each and every client uh, commonly that you have? And, well, get... and that, that is because ultimately when somebody is working with me, that is our goal. I mean, not to pay more tax than what is necessary, but I do want them to actually pay what they're supposed to, mm -hmm. which is kind of, you know, and I'll tell everybody that that's exactly what I want because, you know, our taxation system, it, not perfect by any means, <laughs> but if we don't have people paying into the taxes, our, you know, roads, all these services, everything that those taxes provide, we do need that. So. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, John, could you share with us uh, maybe a first step you take with uh, someone uh, who is wanting to look deeper into, you know, tax planning, tax reduction planning, uh, anything to do with their finances or retirement or anything? Um, and I'm sure you get those questions thrown at you. Um, is there a first step that you take in any way, shape or form? Uh, I do. Over the years, and you're correct. Many of our clients, when we've built that trust factor and you're, you become their trusted advisor, they love to come in here and say, hey, you know what? Will you look at my investments? Do you think they're right for me? You know, insurance policies. It's, it's you know, everybody thinks all we do is sit around and talk about taxes here all day long. And that's far from the truth. I mean, some of the questions they have because they trust you in these areas. And one of those is in their, you know, retirement type planning, wealth advisory. And what I've learned over the years, and we I laugh about a lot, and people tell me is I tell them if somebody tells you that you need X amount of dollars to retire, they're wrong because nobody really knows how much you need. Because what's going to happen later on? What's going to be your health? Are you going to want to take trips to Italy and Australia after you retire? Are you going to buy a car every two years? You know what? That planning that goes into that. You can't sit there and say, if I have a million dollars in my 401k when I retire, do I have enough to retire? I don't know, because I don't know what you're going to spend in retirement. We have to talk. Right. Everybody has different dreams and aspirations and goals. So yeah. uh, you can't just let, throw a number out there and, and, and expect it to work. I mean, it just it doesn't, it doesn't work that But way. you won't find this, you know, unbelievable. There's a lot of people in your profession, you not being one of them, who <laughs> tell people this is the number you need. And they sit there and try to tell them, so you've got to put away this amount of money every month with me or this amount yeah. per year to get there. And I just find that honestly laughable in because they, they haven't asked those other questions. Yeah. You know, what, yeah. It, it, planning is not about what you what we know. Uh, it's about what they know and what they want. And the, mainly the questions that you ask. Most of yeah. people should be asking more questions rather than talking. You know, not to bring my father up again, but I will, because he was a very smart, intelligent man. 
He once taught me, and it took me a long time to figure out this, that the key to acquiring wealth isn't how much you earn, but it's how much you spend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I've got clients that make a lot of money, but they're mortgaged to the hill. They've got high car payments. They really don't have any wealth, any real assets. Mm -hmm. they, they make a lot of money, but if they spend as much or more than they make, they're not going to be able to save for retirement and plan and things of that nature. And exactly. that's where someone like myself and you have to work together with our clients to educate them properly. So, yep, I understand completely. You're one of those few uh, that get it. <laughs> I like to think so, but you know. <laughs> let me ask you this then, uh, John, what's a mistake that you see many people make that's hard to undo when it comes to either tax planning uh, retirement planning, uh, anything to do with their financial life? That That's a really loaded question. <laughs> Narrowing it down to one, I don't know if I could really do that. But if I was just going to have to say one, it's when I have people come in here and they want to take money out of their 401k and they want to pay off their house or they want to buy a car. And we sit here and have to explain to them, no, you don't want to take it out of there. Especially if you're under 59 and a half and you got a 10% penalty. I mean, I don't care what your interest rate is on your vehicle. It's going to be cheaper probably to pay the interest on, on the car. And then you've lost the money that you put away for retirement in the years for that extra money to be able to grow. And yeah. so I'm going to have to say that's the one that I just cringe at when I see people on my calendar. And I know they're coming in to talk to me about taking money out of the retirement account to be able to pay off either their house or a large purchase of, of some way, shape or form. Except for maybe in the 80s. Uh, well, well, interest rates are always less than taxes. <laughs> yes, I, exactly. Of course, I wasn't practicing. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, now that I, now that you meant, well, I was actually. Uh, so, so, yeah. Yeah, it was early 90s for me. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> you know, here, here's something I, I, I'm very interested in. Um, and uh, I noticed uh, that uh, uh You've written a number of articles. And so could you discuss some of the articles you've written for the uh, Journal for Accountancy and uh, Finance Monthly? Yes, I can. Um, I guess I've been asked by them a few times to write articles in regards to the, you know, one of them was in regarding, regarding the impact of COVID on the tax profession in regards to that, because, you know, we went one tax season basically where we went contactless. We didn't see clients in our office. Uh, we had to really adapt and change. And how did that affect not only that year, but going forward? Because, hey, did we find out that our clients really preferred not to have to come in and, and see me uh, or anybody else here at the firm? Um, and so they wanted that unique perspective on how that was. Um, the fact that I'm very large into the R&D credits and you know the employee retention credits that came out and things of that nature, you know, Journal of Accountancy wanted me to talk about those type of things on how how did I get started? How did I, you know, find this niche? Because a lot of people seem to think, you know, and been talked about, hey, you're just this little old guy in Bluffton, Indiana, you know, what can you know, you know, because the small town stigma, you know, and that small town stigma doesn't, you know, play a part into anything what somebody's knowledge is. We've got a lot of knowledgeable professionals and a lot of all in this area and in Indiana. You know, we don't all grow corn. So 
you bring me to another question uh, that I wasn't planning on. Um, do you find that uh, uh, your expertise in the R&D credits and the uh, employee retention tax credits uh, have helped you obtain new clients? Yes, it has. Uh, all through the word of mouth, because we, I would work with a client and uh, they would see the the effect and the end result of those. And then they would go tell somebody that they know in business that, hey, you know what, these things really do exist. Because in in my profession, a lot of people stay away from research and development credits for a myriad of reasons. Right. One is the fact that there's a stigma that says if you try to get an R&D credit, the IRS is going to automatically audit you, which is not correct. I mean, nobody that I've done R&D credits for has been audited at any higher rate than the normal audit rate from the IRS. Sure. So that doesn't automatically, as long as you do things correctly. The IRS wants to see documentation. They want to see that you've done your due diligence and you can prove your calculations. And one thing I do is I send all of those in with every tax return. We're not trying to hide that from them. We're trying to sit there and show them, here's how we came up with these, and this is our documentation. And reduce the chance of audit. Well, absolutely. That's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. Excellent. Um, so basically, in the R&D credit and the ERC side, a lot of that all comes from just word of mouth in regarding to that. From that. But it has picked me up. Um, most of them, once we do that, stay on as a full client. We do everything else that they need done for them. I do have a few of those that I have done those credits for them. They still are where they were before, but we were the one who took care of taking care of all of the credits gotcha. and amending their returns mm -hmm, if necessary. Um, John, um, sometimes this is a tough question for people, uh, but could you define what success means to you? Yeah, really, it's not too hard for me. And I look at success business and professionally versus personally are two different things. And success to me on the business side isn't money. It isn't wealth. It isn't, you know, any of the awards that I've won or anything else of that nature. It's knowing that I have done my best for a client. They see that and they appreciate it. And the, the relationship is just, just works well. And that's a client that you enjoy having. They appreciate what you do for them. And from that standpoint, when you have that and you know that relationship exists and they tell you, that's success to me. That means I have done what I'm supposed to do on this end. So when I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I can say, hey, John, you did everything, you know, right. And you could. So from a business side, that's what really drives me. And that's what success is to me, is that satisfied client. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you know, we've talked about several things here. Is there anything you'd like to share with our audience uh, that we haven't talked about to this point? Well, yeah. You know, one thing I would be remiss, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you, talking about me and the things that I do. But obviously, I couldn't be here and be me without a lot of other people in my life. Obviously, my mother and father, you know, I uh, wish they were still here. But, you know, they raised me right. They taught me well. And so a lot of the things that I've become today and be able to do, you know, I attribute to them. Mm -hmm. And then I look at my father and my uncle and my grandmother and my grandfather. And, my, you know, they started, kept the firm going for three generations until I could take it over and, you know, even grow it from there. But even from then, you know, one person likes just like myself 
I can't do it all. I've got a great staff here at the office that I depend upon, that I can rely on and, and for that, so that I know that, hey, this gives me time to be able to do what I need to do here. I can have them taking care of other things. And I also know that they're gonna take care of the clients the same way that I want them taken care of. You sure. know, I mean, that, that's been ingrained in, in a way. And the other thing that I do is, that's been very, very beneficial to me is partnerships, okay? With my clients, I want to partner with their investment representatives, their attorneys, their insurance agents. So we're all on the same page because I hate it when I see somebody come in and their investment advisor gave them this great thing. We're going to take all of these capital gains during the year and you're, you know what, we're going to do this. And boy, they've got this big tax bill. It affected their taxability of their social security that had never happened before. And these things would all be avoidable if we could just all have that communication so that we could talk. How is this or prepare? Hey, we can pay an estimated tax. It's a great idea to do it when you did it, but we just need to be able to be in communication to have that. And that's one thing I will really do is partner with these people, such as yourself, with mutual clients to make sure that we all are doing our best for them. Yeah. yeah I, I, there's not enough of that that goes on between the industries. Uh, I, don't I, I agree. And it, it's time consuming, but it's, it's necessary and it's rewarding because you don't have people that come in in February and March. And now I tell them they owe $10,000. They've always had a refund and they didn't realize how certain things would affect them during the year. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're I don't think there's anything in life that you can do that doesn't have a side effect. Could oh. be good, could be bad, but there's a side effect, right? That, that's very, very true. Great point. And, and when working as a team, the, those side effects are recognized before. Well, you know, and the same thing with the attorney, making sure it's a business. Do we have them in the right entity? Do we, mm -hmm. Are we doing everything correctly? And, and it just, you know, it makes it so much easier than keep up on it at that point in time, then, you know, I don't know, maybe your memory's better than mine, probably is, Terry, but if I do something in March and somebody's asking me about it next February, my memory about what happened 11 months ago might not be as good as it was if somebody knows about it when it's happening. Don't feel like the Lone Ranger. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, John, with all your, your success, um, what would you say is your biggest challenge? <laughs> After everything, people. Mm -hmm. People are the biggest challenge. You know, we all know no two people are the same. Uh, sometimes you can do everything right. You can do everything possible for a client. And in today's society, no matter what you do, they're never, never satisfied. Mm -hmm. And that becomes, for me, because I want them to be happy. I want them to be satisfied and sometimes when you're like you know you have really done everything you can and you know you're never going to please that person those are the things that keep me up at night and bother me yeah even though i can know somebody else can tell me john hey you know what you've done it you know, it's not you trust me i don't i don't care because remember how i define success and that's that that happy satisfied client so when they're not that is the thing that is a challenge because more and more nowadays people are more apt to just almost be unreasonable <laughs> at times. I agree. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I wouldn't want to be you in some of the times when the market is going high and low because I have clients that come in here and, you know, their investment reps, the greatest person in the world when the market's good, 
But then they'll come in here when the market's bad and say, should I fire my investment rep and get a new one? You didn't do anything wrong. You can't control the stock market. You can put things in place that, you know, hey, you're diversified well. You've got ups and downs in the market. Those are going to happen. You didn't change who you were. Nobody did. But you can be looked at as different eyes just because of a situation that you have no control over. Right. I agree. I agree. Well, our, our, our time's about up here, John. Um, and uh, your contact information is at the bottom of the screen. Uh, but can you go ahead and, and share with our audience uh, how they can learn more about you? Sure. You know, you feel free to go to our website. You know, it's www.mschweiler.net. I've got LinkedIn and Facebook business profiles and pages. Uh, they can feel free to call me, sit down and chat. Want to get to know me? Want to ask me any questions? Find out about me? You know what? I'm I'm there. I'd be glad to sit down and talk to anybody in regards to any questions or anything that they might want to want to ask, you know, from that standpoint. So, you know, that's probably the best ways to be able to get a hold of me. Okay, great. You know, John, it, it's always my pleasure uh, to be able to interview a seasoned veteran uh, that's been around for a while, knows what they're doing, been successful, and can give our, our audience, you know, good tips and, and information uh, that make their life better. And so um, I want to thank you for being on. It's been a pleasure. Um, and uh, everyone, uh, uh, you know, thanks again for being uh, or watching the show this week. This is uh Better business, better life, building on your success. I'm your host, Terry DuPont, and I uh, hope you join us again next week. And John, thank you so much, my friend. Terry, thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. This has been the Better Business, Better Life, Building on Your Success podcast. If you have questions about creating tax-free wealth and income, forward-looking tax mitigation, strategic risk mitigation, wealth preservation and legacy planning, and advanced financial management, go to DuponAdvisory.com or email Terry at DuponAdvisory.com. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.